In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. Friends, how are you? Welcome to The Counter. It's Chris Corman, editor with For the Win, joined by Stephen Ruiz, our NFL writer. Stephen, we got bets today, man. Bets is on the podcast again. I know. I'm excited. This week I got accused of being a bets burner account, so I'm excited. He'll come on my burner. Wait, why would bets? Why would bets need a burner? Yeah, bets I don't understand our, it. Bet, bets might be your burner. No, yeah, no, it's, would, it's the other way around. I think. Okay, okay, all right, all right, good, good. That, that makes sense for me. Um, and it was because of it was because of some Joe Burrow slander, and I think I, I was one of the first on that on that mountain. You're you're trying to claim the Joe Burrow slander? I, That's. You you started it? I, no, I'm not saying I started it. There's other people around, but I was one of the early adopters as well. Yeah, saying. I was going to say probably every Ohio State fan <laughs> who slandered him. Urban Meyer slandered him first. Yeah, Urban true. Meyer was that's, actually the first on that. That's true. Uh, Betts is here to talk. Uh, we'll be here to talk about this just atrocious Cowboys defense, which Steven is taking a look at, and it. It is just entirely broken in every way, shape, and form. There is no like easy fix, uh, but but it's still interesting to look at all the ways that it is broken and try to figure out uh, how the different parts are causing other parts to not work. So that's a, a really interesting conversation. Bets will also bets is is at all twenty two on Twitter. He's uh, one of the better NFL follows mostly because he's hilarious, but he also studies the hell out of film. And he will tell us a little bit about some trends he's noticing and how defenses are adjusting this year and in recent years. Uh, he also, he, he will, he will do a, a prolonged appreciation of Vita Vea. If you've <laughs> never, if you've never cared about a defensive tackle who just takes on, um, takes on blocks and is just a monster. Uh, now it will be, this is the best chance that you will ever be converted into loving defensive tackles. The soliloquy that Betts delivers on, on uh, why they matter and why they're so important and why they're beautiful really uh, and, is. And it's really your last chance to appreciate him this season because he, he was hurt on Thursday. Yeah, he's, he's out. So, uh, so we'll discuss that and whether it's going to matter for Tampa Bay. And then we will get into some, some more Joe Burrow slander, which has become a, a somewhat standard thing for us. Uh, we will jump to Charles uh, Curtis for our fantasy segment, go over all the games for this week as we usually do. Uh, you know, get into Steven's picks, break down some of the big ones, Steelers, Browns, uh, the, the Packers. Who do the Packers play? I'm Bucks. totally blanking. Ba- Packers, Bucks. That's a good one. Um, so we'll get into some of those and look at sort of what's going on in the league. But 
Stephen, first, we I feel like we need to update the COVID situation. And this is weird because <laughs> no matter what, uh, there's going to be some time between us recording this and it reaching the world and everything. So much could change, uh, you know, how news uh, breaks. But um, as of right now, the Atlanta Falcons are, I think, the only NFL team that are they're They're working remotely, which is obviously a hard thing for an NFL team to do, since generally the work of NFL teams is to move around a football field. But they had a player uh, test positive and then today a staff a member, I think, tested positive. There was a report early on that they were there were multiple positive tests, but that turned out not to be the case. Uh, so Marlon Davidson, a rookie defensive tackle, was that was earlier this week, and then a staff member this week. And uh, out of an abundance of caution, they closed down their game for this week. Is still, as far as I know, I'm I'm scanning a little bit. They play the Vikings, but yeah, it's still on. And in fact, Vegas still has a line for it. So that tells you that uh, people are feeling like it might actually happen. But the NFL also today announced Alan Sills, the chief medical officer, announced a new policy wherein essentially anyone who is showing possible symptoms of COVID, which those symptoms, it's, it's a pretty broad range, uh, will be sent home to isolate, even if they have a negative test. Um, and that has already affected Odell Beckham Jr., I guess I'm not, it's not totally clear, but he showed up to the Cleveland Browns facility to work today and was eventually sent home with an illness. We don't, as far as we know, it's not COVID right now, uh, but, but this is, it's going to be a huge, I mean, this is another huge wrench in things. We talked last week about how, uh, how messy the scheduling is getting, you know, they've, they've had to move so many games and, and you're, we're going to reach a point where there's just not any more room to move games. And, and if a team is, you know, if the Titans get affected again, there's just not going to be much room for them to, to, to move it around. Uh, but now we're in a place where we're going into cold and flu season player. This is going to be a lot of players missing a lot of time. What will this mean for the quality of football and for uh, the, the competition in the league, which, you know, are there certain teams or certain systems that can withstand this? I mean, what it just, it, it really adds more chaos to a league that already has a ton of parity. Yeah. And like it, it seems like we're we might be out of the clear that like that's the sentiment with the Falcons, but I just want to remind people of what happened with the Patriots, what happened with the Titans. Like these things kind of like kind of trickles out these positive tests. So I don't know, are we? I don't know if we're going to get a Falcons game this week. And yeah. if that happens, and they have to shuffle the schedule around more, which they did a lot of shuffling last weekend. I I don't know. I don't know what this league looks like. I don't know. Like these. Even like something as simple as moving the game to Tuesday, I think affects the competitive balance in some way because of how important in this sport, like how important game prep is. Like right. in basketball, it's not a big deal if you have to move a game. Like obviously there's some game prep, but it's not at the level of an NFL week where you're game planning on one day, you're practicing, you're installing the game plan, you're working on different situations, what play calls you're going to use. Like messing up a week of practice really affects a game. Right. So even like something as small as that, I think affects the competitive balance of the season going forward. Right. The, uh, should mention that the Patriots who lost, uh, Cam Newton and Stefan Gilmore, they're, I mean, 
two of their best players. Though both of those guys are back at practice this week, so it does look like they have uh, emerged at this point from their mess. Big week for me. Big week for me, by the way, on Twitter. Big big Sunday because I had a lot of. Twitter debates in the offseason about Cam Newton going to the Broncos and whether he'd be a better option than Drew Locke. And those <laughs> two will be playing this week. Like oh. actual Drew Locke will be playing. Huge, huge. I got my my bookmark tweets ready to to send send <laughs> out again. So I'm ready. The uh, you know uh, I, I think you're totally right that this it, it's hard to measure how disruptive this is for an NFL team. Uh, when you know when they're even missing one practice, the Titans were are the team that have ha- had had the most, uh, you know, missed time and and restructured time. And I I think I predicted it in one of the shows that they would it would really hurt them because they really they you know they had the illegal practices with the illegal gatherings where they should not have been gathering and potentially spread it again and miss time. But they came back and. Beat the crap out of the Bills. Uh, the you know definitely. I don't think anyone saw this coming. The Bills had been fantastic. Um, the Titans had you know barely squeaked by the Vikings, barely squeaked by the Jaguars, barely squeaked by the Broncos. I mean, they won those games by a combined seven points or something. Not, not even. I don't think. Uh, so they totally dominated the Bills, forty-two sixteen. And then afterward, they tried to carry out this notion that they were sort of like responding to adversity that others had put on them or responding to negativity. I'm not really, I mean, I, it was so, it was just such a dumb sentiment that I couldn't even really follow it. Uh, but I, I think we want to be clear that the, whatever the Titans did, it, it was their own fault. <laughs> like this, this was not, not to be commended. Right. It, uh, it reminded me of like the Ohio State season a couple of years ago when they, I think they won like the Big Ten. <laughs> and this was after like I think Urban Meyer was suspended. It, it's I forget what the the assistant's name was, but he had Zach, up. Zach Smith, right? Zach Smith, who's a who's yeah, just a, a great guy on Twitter. No, no, followed. terrible. Worst. <laughs> and they were claiming that they overcame adversity, but I actually think like the opposite, like. And this is a take. This is hindsight. It's twenty twenty all the way. But the Bills look like the team that hadn't practiced and hadn't been prepared. And maybe the Titans had a bit of an advantage if you think about it. They they're the ones that knew. I think they had more inside information on when they'd be ready to play. Right. So they could probably predict who their next opponent would be. Whereas the Bills were kind of in the dark. It was like, are the Titans going to be ready to play? Where so. The Titans could conceivably have just been focused on the the Bills and beating the Bills. And in that game, it seemed like the Bills were unprepared. Like they were very undisciplined on defense, which is not a thing you see from the Bills ever. Like I'm thinking there was a lot of plays where the, the Titans were breaking and contain and getting to the outside. The run fits just weren't good. And I don't know, maybe it was an advantage to to not be to have that time off the last two weeks for the Titans. Yeah, I mean, time off in football is generally valuable and certainly seemed to be for the Titans this time. But, uh, man, if this narrative develops where wherein, you know, players are trying to act like they've gone through adversity because, uh, you know, especially in the case, obviously there's no shame. I mean, we're not shaming people for catching it 
an incredibly uh, a virus that spreads. You know, we're seeing it spread across the country again. Uh, it's not shaming that, but the fact that the Titans then got together against NFL rules and continued to endanger each other and then acted like, oh, you know, you guys were you were doubting us and hating on us. Hey, come on, guys. That's that's ludicrous. Um, another other news this week, Dak Prescott uh, got his surgery, his ankle surgery. He appears to be sort of moving forward. Uh, Henry McKenna, one of our writers, took a look at his contract situation. You know, it's very be interesting to see Jerry Jones has been saying all the right things. Dak will be back. He's a great leader. But, you know, obviously, Jerry Jones probably could have paid the guy uh, earlier if he really thought so highly of him. Um, so we'll be interested to see how that plays out. But the Dallas Cowboys are also, I think, pretty clearly in the driver's seat of the NFC East right now. Uh, even and you know signed Andy Dalton in the offseason and Andy Dalton is a perfectly capable quarterback especially with an unbelievable wide receiver group uh, the offensive line is not as great uh, you know due to injuries so I think there are some concerns with that the offense uh, will maybe take a downturn with without Dak's ability uh, to create and, and deal with pressure but they play in the NFC East, so it's they're the best team. But the defense is just horrific. It's just horrible. Uh, and so we want to kick that over to Betts and dig in on why that's happening. The counter. All right, now we're going to bring on our good friend, Betts. This is his second appearance on our podcast. Uh, he he heralds from the internet. He is just an internet phenom. Uh, that's that's what he is. Bets, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on today, guys. Are, are we the first podcast to invite you on a second time? Uh, Waldman is the only other uh, brave <laughs> enough person to have me on twice. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> We are. We're gonna. We're gonna get into a couple things. Mostly, uh, Betts's appreciation of Vita Vea. Uh, that that'll be the the crux of the discussion. But let's let's push that back. We'll make you get through some other things before we get to that stuff. Uh, let's talk about the Dallas Cowboys defense, which has been really really bad. Uh, I think Stephen, you said by EPA, it's twenty six overall EPA per play, 26th, yeah. 22nd against pass, twenty seventh against the rush. DVOA, it's around the same. I think it's twenty fourth overall, twentieth against the pass, twenty third against the rush. So this is a terrible defense that's holding back this team. Obviously, uh, even with Andy Dalton and playing in the NFC East, it, it probably could be an okay team. But uh, right now, the defense is just atrocious and we're trying to figure out why and that's why we brought bets on because he knows that knows things like that uh so bets what what have you seen as you've watched this team play on defense right so i'm not an expert so you guys don't send your mean emails to me send them to uh chris and steven uh but you just watch this team and uh you you don't see a lot of like nfl talent on that defensive side of the ball, you see a lot of alignment issues. I don't even think the defense is that complex, right? Um, but you see them, especially in the giants game struggle to get aligned to the tight end or however they're doing it that week. Um, and just like a lack of discipline overall, when you're 
you know, looking at um, technique or scheme or um, even individual players, uh, just like a lack of, I hate saying effort, but um, just, it, it doesn't look good. That's all. <laughs> I'm happy that you said discipline because I like went through all of their, the, their bad plays. And I define that with like them giving up at least one point of EPA. And the issue that kept coming up for me was poor discipline. And I felt like such like a, I don't even know, like a, like a old school football guy where I'm like, yeah, this team just isn't disciplined. Like some nonsense <laughs> analysis that doesn't really tell you anything, but with this defense, like that's what it looks like. It's just any like pre-snap motion just turns, just throws them into chaos. Like communication is bad. People are, they're busting coverages. They're not covering our, yeah, covering their gaps. They're not fitting against the run. Well, it just doesn't look good. And I think part of it does start with what Beth said, that lack of talent. And I think most of that, lack of talent is on the defensive line, especially the interior. Their defensive tackles just get pushed around by everybody. Oh, in talking about discipline too, and the defensive line, like it's very apparent in the defensive line. Um, Cause one of the first things you learn as like learning about defensive line play is uh, you want to explode with your, your hips and your um, hands and then your feet come second mm-hmm. specifically when, you uh against the run and this dallas team you see a lot of feet first and then hands there's no explosion Mm -hmm. uh and so they're just getting washed and uh i said this before but like if you want a good run defense like you need a stout interior um like tampa bay does or uh the giants actually um and they just don't have that and so um that interior just collapsing is also like putting a lot of responsibilities back on the backers. And so they're looking a lot worse than they probably should. They're still bad. Um, Like Jalen Smith, I'm not a big, he looks like a safety out there now. Like he's so small. um, Doesn't really want to take on blocks. Uh, Yeah. It's just, it's not great. Let me ask you guys this. Uh, with the lack of talent, I mean, it sounds like the discipline issues and what Steven looked at, you know, he saw a bunch of scheme issues too. Uh, it sounds like that would be coaching, but I'm wondering if a different defensive coach took over this defense, could could a, you know, certainly not a great defense emerge, but a, a league average defense emerge? Like, is, is this a coaching issue? Could it be corrected? I, I'll take that one first. Uh, I don't see it. Like when I, like everything is wrong with the defense. Like it's not just coaching. The talent isn't there either, but the coaching isn't helping at all. I think you would need like Bill Belichick or someone to really fix this defense. Cause I don't know what, like there's only so much you can do scheme wise with a team that just isn't like, what are they good at? I, I can't think of one strength for this defense. Their at edge all. rushers. Are oh yeah, that's nice. true. That's the point. Yeah. Smith and Lawrence are, but it just goes to show like how it doesn't matter if you have good edge rushers, if right. you can't, do anything else right um that's the only bright spot i saw on the defense was the the edge rushing yeah that's that's a good point i the edge rushers are very good and i didn't think like when i'm when i was going through the the bad plays and marking down what the issue was what the biggest issue was like pass rush wasn't that big of an issue i don't think it came up more than once or twice for me so yeah i would agree with him that i should i missed that pass rush is definitely a strength but 
like you said, like there's only so much a pass rush can do when you're giving up open receivers like within an instant. And who is their best corner right now? Is it? It's not Trayvon Diggs, but he's on paper he's their most talented corner. What do you think about their cornerback group? Oh man, uh, so you see them in a lot of too high because they can't take anybody one on one. There's certain downs where they have to be in single high. But, uh, yeah, uh, they're, they're trying to hide their cornerback play basically with all the two high and then getting gashed in the run because they're a man short. So it's just, it's tough. So one thing, I'm not a coverage expert by any means, but when I was watching the games, I thought they did a poor job of just staying tight to routes. Like, I don't know. I'm not going to I think they do match patterns when they play zone, but there was a lot of times when they weren't, when they're playing just like straight spot drop. Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think Nolan, Mike Nolan feels he has to play that type of defense? Man. um, We're talking about discipline again, but it looks like they're playing like a lot of spot drop that they want eyes on the quarterback because um, they can't handle, uh, you know, passing off, uh, receivers or handling any one-on-one. So it's a lot of spot drops. So then it's a lot of soft windows. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they have the ability to, you know, uh, just a uh, couple times I saw Trayvon Diggs line up in a press alignment. Uh, I'm thinking of the long play to woods, I think in the Rams game mm-hmm. and then Metcalf, like he just got toasted both times as soon as he lined up in press coverage, they automatically attacked him. You just can't get around that unless you get, you know, a better player or play too high. And then their safety play in too high is so bad. Um, In the Cleveland game, they just let a post uh, run (laughs) right by him for a touchdown. (laughs) Both safeties just right on the hash. It's just, uh, I'm not sure, you know, what they're teaching over there, but it's just not good. And the, the crazy thing is with the coverage bus, it's not, like, not one player. Like, I found examples of, like, every single player, and they've rotated their safeties a lot. I think they had Daryl Worley playing safety at one point, and he was, like, a, a failed cornerback in Carolina. <laughs> every one of them has busted a coverage this year. It's only week five, and they've played, like, six different defensive backs. It's really amazing to watch just how badly – I didn't think I would see an NFL defense play this poorly, like – it's statistically it's not the worst defense and I haven't watched every defense, but I've been covering the NFL for like five years now. And this is the worst defense I've ever, like it's the most irredeemable defense I've ever watched. So oh. wait, what's, what's, what's the future then? All right. I mean, if, if Dak Prescott comes back healthy next year, this offense is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, can this be fixed in, in time? Well, I think, I so getting that one tech that you know holds the a gap is actually like a pretty easy player to find right um you can find it's not a hard position but it's a very crucial position um and you need to find probably a veteran at that spot because they're just getting gashed up the middle um and if they could solidify that it would take a lot off the linebackers because specifically you watch teams and they run play action against this defense yes um they, the linebackers are overcompensating because they know they have to flow fast because yep. the defensive line is yeah. so bad. And there's just yeah. huge windows. 
behind them, right? And then they're playing again, all that too high. So then you don't have those extra, those two extra hole defenders. And it's just like pitch and catch all game. It's just yeah, tough. Yeah. For like when I was marking down the poor discipline, Plin plays that was mostly it was them over pursuing on on play action fakes and then giving up big plays in the passing game like that's what baker mayfield did all game and mm-hmm. that's basically what baker mayfield needs to to play a good game and i, I don't even <laughs> think he played well against the cowboys i thought he was actually pretty bad but when you that's a problem if you can't if you can't make Baker Mayfield play quarterback i think you're not a great defense that's my that's my how i judge defenses from now on well, they made Jarvis Landry look good too. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> Bets, we're uh, we're always interested in sort of the trends uh, that that are evolving on defense, and you know, as as offenses change, how defenses react. W- what have you seen this season as you as you watch tape? What are, what are NFL teams doing a little bit differently this year from what they've been doing in recent years? Right, I think we're seeing like the death of single high. Um, you don't see it as much, especially on passing downs, right? We're getting into second and third longs, second and third and longs. Um, you're seeing a lot more too high and, uh, you know, it's just a passing league. And so that makes sense, right? Like I might as well go to, you know, those extra defenders in the past, um, and you're also seeing a lot more pressure specifically on first and second downs on um, teams are trying to generate these negative plays to uh, stop the drive quicker. Uh, I'm thinking Pittsburgh and Baltimore, right? Baltimore sending five guys like 50% of the time. That was at least last year. I don't know what the number is this year. This past week, this past week, it was 23 out of 39, I think. So wow. like it was up, it was up to like sixty percent. Part of that might have just been going up against the Bengals, but I think the Steelers were up at sixty percent at one point this year. So yeah, right. So you're seeing like less um, assignment sound football, I think, and I say that in a way that um, you're just trying to win with you know four up front, win first down, get into you know second and six win second down. So now you're at like third and four or second or third and six. And then, you know, then you can get into your pressure package, but now we're seeing, well, we'll just send pressure every play. We want to stop the drive. Um, Because that's how the defense wins, right? They can't punt. So if they can get, you know, a big uh, first down loss, well, then they're in an advantageous position the rest of the drive. So I think that's why you're seeing more, especially like um, slot blitzes this year mm-hmm. compared to previous years. Yeah, I think that was that's the thing I'm seeing, and I don't know if it's just because I like studied protections this off season, but it's very like you're seeing teams try to dictate matchups with how they align early on. Like they'll, I'm seeing a lot of like zero techniques like a lot of players lining up directly over the center this Mm -hmm. year more than i've seen in the past couple years and a team that i think is doing it a fair bit on passing downs is the bucks so that brings us to one of your favorite players vita vea (laughs) i was watching i because i i know you wanted to talk about him so i watched him 
against the Bears really quickly, just the passing snaps, because I know you're 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 watching the rundowns. And I think that's how Todd Bowles is using him is he's putting him into in the middle of that defense. And it's so hard to when you have a guy like that and he's so athletic, he's so strong. When you have a guy like that anywhere near the center, it makes it so hard to call different protection schemes like you. you, Most of the time, like if there's a one technique, which is a guy in the gap between the center and guard and teams are going to half slide and they're going to it's going to be a four man slide. But if you're asking your guard to slide over and block Vita Vea, who's getting off the line in a hurry and he's so strong, it's just an issue. So you end up seeing a lot of like man protections. And if you give Todd Bowles, like if you if Todd Bowles knows you're in man protection, he's just going to eat. And that's why the Bucks defense has been so good this year, I think. And that's a good point with the zero tech, too, because I also think that is – uh, prominent now because I'm seeing a lot of outside zone from every team. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the ways to stop outside zone is you basically put five or six men on the line of scrimmage and single up all those combo blocks that the right. offense is trying to create. So instead of getting two on ones for the offense, everything is now a one-on-one and the defense has an advantage again. Um, so I, I do think, yeah, like nose and one tech, like they're coming back. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, Vita Vea, he, um, there's his play against the Broncos where basically, um, he gets a block to him and, uh, it's the center and the right guard and they try to scoop him. So it's a two on one and they're trying to like block him, fall off and work to the second level. Well, he takes both the center and the right guard and bulldozes them right into the Broncos running back. <laughs> so he basically took three players on the play. Uh, it, it's just like he's so much better at his position right now than I think a lot of people are. Like, there's a lot of good corners. There's a lot of good linebackers. But I don't think there's a nose tackle that has as much impact on the game as Vita Vea. Right. Are they going to be able to continue doing what they've been doing defensively without him? I mean, it sort of seems what the, the coaches are saying, that they'll just plug, I don't even know who his backup is. So I uh, do know his backup. His backup rocks. Uh, he's, he's 56. Uh, he's got like three names. I forget. I yeah, Rakeem Nunez Roches. Oh, I'm oh yeah. Yeah, I remember yeah. He is, uh, he's great against the run. He is keeping all those Tampa Bay linebackers so clean. Um, they'll really miss him, uh, Vea on the passing downs, because uh, uh, 56 just doesn't have the same juice. He's very technically sound, and he'll keep players uh, off the linebackers, but he's not going to win one-on-one in a passing situation. Um, so they'll probably have to send, uh, Todd Bowles loves sending cross dog blitzes yeah. with white and, and David. So you'll probably just see more pressure coming from Tampa Bay. Now that they lost they, uh And I think they're fine. They're fine doing that. It's not like they're like, they're a team like Baltimore. I, their corners are pretty good, I think. And I don't think they're going to get exploited if they do have to send more pressure. I, like if this was a team like the Cowboys that had to send more pressure, then I would be very concerned, but I right. think they're going to be able to hold up. So, well, I mean, losing about- Vea sucks, but I don't think it's I don't think it's like a season killer. No, not at all. 
And uh, talking about discipline, though, you see Tampa Bay players make tackles, right? Um, in the open field, you have Carlton Davis, who's mm-hmm. one of the best run support corners I've seen in the league. Uh, they just don't miss very many tackles. And I think that's a direct reflection of like, quote unquote, discipline, right? Like we're talking about. Right. But it's the little things that matter. If you miss a tackle, I mean, that's the difference between three yards and seven sometimes or a touchdown, whatever tackling it is. is I think tackling is the most underrated aspect that of defense. And I think I, I, I believe we talked about this the first time we came on the podcast about how good the Patriots are at tackling. And that's consistent throughout Belichick's time. And I think that's one of the reasons they've been so good, no matter what their personnel is and no matter how they've had to play defense. Cause they've gone through phases where like, I'm thinking about like the early 2010s where they were playing more zone. And now they're obviously just the most man coverage, heavy team in the league. But that's the oh. one, con- that's the one consistent thing about their defense. They tackle well. I mean, even they missing like how many players this year, six on defense or I forget. And they have not missed a beat. Mm-hmm. Um, they just, they do the little things right. And uh, sometimes that's what matters. So. Bets, I need your, uh, your thoughts on the impressive start from Joe Burrow. Uh, so Is far. it impressive? <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, Joe Burrow. Uh, I think he's like, he's very smart and he obviously gets like the quarterback position. He doesn't look lost a lot of the time, but he's just the reason you draft Josh Allen is because he's going to stress every part of the field, every single snap. And with Burrow, you're already seeing it. Like he's not an athlete. I'm sorry. He's not. And he just has the baby arm. Like he can't, he's floating 10 yard passes. He can't throw to the opposite hash and uh, defenses are not respecting, you know, like, uh, so they're just sending pressure and and making him, you know, make tight window throws or it's just, when you look at Herbert and you look at Burrow, like, yes, we want people who can read defenses and people who can, you know, adjust protections. But if you can't make a freaking throw, what does it matter? You know? <laughs> yeah, so, we picked up I, that nickel blitz, but I sailed the, the seam route <laughs> 20 yards in the air. He and he's not even doing a good job of the protections this year from what I've seen. Like, I watched the Ravens game, and they were just killing him. He didn't know where the pressure was coming from. And which, like, he's a rookie quarterback, but he's also going to be 24 in December. So, right. I mean, is he, do we really count him as a rookie? And, like, one of the biggest issues with him is he thinks he's a better athlete than he actually is. And he, he probably thinks that because he was able to outrun two star athletes at Vanderbilt <laughs> last year. But there ain't, there ain't no two star athletes from Vanderbilt on the NFL. And he's, like, running into so many sacks because he's trying to scramble and he thinks he can, like, if there's a lane, he can get through it. It happened a lot in recent weeks and he's getting sacked like a lot of this. I I wrote the thing this week, putting a lot of the, the blame on Zach Taylor, who I don't know that. I think he's just trying to be Sean McVay, but he doesn't, he like, he understands the big picture of Sean McVay's offense, but he doesn't understand how to like fix it. Mm-hmm. And that's been his issue, but Joe Burrow is not helping. Like he's running into sacks at a alarming rate. 
What's what's his ceiling at this point? I mean, there are there are baby armed quarterbacks who may like Steven, you still like Philip Rivers, uh and and like what he's doing. Can Burrow I mean, Philip Rivers might have a stronger arm at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Philip oh, Rivers man. is that's, still throwing that's really a baby arm. Philip Rivers is still throwing from the opposite hash at this point in his career. So that's disrespectful oh. to yeah. Philip Rivers. <laughs> but like I this is my take, and I kind of came to this conclusion after I was high on some bad pocket quarterbacks. Like Josh Rosen is the one that made me come to this conclusion. Yes. Okay. When you're and, high on, man, I, I thought you were like just gonna be like, yeah, I was high on drugs. And I figured this well, out. That's awesome. Well, that's true right now. No, but these pocket quarterbacks, like they call they people call them pro ready, and they say they're ready to start right away. But I don't think that's really true because in college, they're like Joe Burrow, for instance, was so good, not only because he had all this talent around him, but he was smart and he knew the system and he knew how he was the smartest player on the field at all time. But when he, so he was winning with his mind a lot. But when you go to the pros, you're no longer the smartest player on the field. You're probably the dumbest player on the field. So I don't get I don't think he's him and players like Josh Rosen are necessarily set up to win right away or play well right away. Whereas like a a guy that's not given that credit, like even Josh Allen was a useful quarterback, even if he was bad passing, but he's still useful because you could do so much, so many things with him and you could scheme up stuff with Joe Burrow. It's really like, we're going to play empty and we're just going to hope that you could read the defense and find an open guy. So when he goes up against like Wink Martindale, a Wink Martindale defense, he's going to get his ass kicked every time by a defensive coordinator. I, that's a great point, man, because Burrow has to be perfect every single snap. There's, you know, like if you don't have those talents, like Justin Herbert doesn't have to be perfect every snap. He They sent a zero pressure on this primetime game. He had two free runners and he just ran right by them because he's talented, right? So it's just um, – it, I think we veered too far into like smart quarterback territory when at the end of the day, you have to throw the ball. Like you have to stress the defense at all different levels. Mm-hmm. And I, I like Herbert. I mean, I, I haven't really watched him, but he just got the ability to take the one-on-one comeback and make the throw every time where I don't think Burrow has that ability. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. His mar- like his margin for error is much bigger than Joe Burrow's. And I think I made that point when we were talking about Burrow before the draft. Like everything has to go right for him to become a top ten quarterback. I his floor is very high. Like I think right. at his worst, he's he's like Andy Dalton. Right. But in order to reach his his ceiling, which I would think is like something like maybe Matt Ryan, it's gonna take a lot to go right. Like everything has to go perfectly and Another thing is with the new CBA and reduced pat, uh, practice time, like you're not getting those reps that Peyton Manning and Drew Brees and Phillip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger got, where you're mm-hmm. turning into this smart quarterback who never gets anything wrong, who can read the defense and knows where to go. Like it's very hard to develop those guys right now. Well, and he's playing for the Bengals, who are not going to give him <laughs> any support moving forward. So we might as well just write him off now, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Like if so, I'm, let me ask you this. I I posed this question on Twitter I, yesterday. If you're the Bengals and you get the number one pick, are you trading Burrow and drafting Lawrence or Fields, whichever whichever one you like better? Oh, you have to, right? Absolutely. Right. I don't think down. that's not it. even a hot take, is it? Like Lawrence is that much better, right? Yeah. 
And the, the funniest thing to me about Burrow, the pre, and I'm sorry we're like just ripping Burrow right now, but yeah. that's, this is partly why I brought Betts on so I could do this. I, I'm going to bring Seth Galina in real quick. I'm, like, I'm, I'm texting him to like to come in to the rescue of, of Joe Burrow. That would be uh, the fourth person on this podcast right now that has a stronger arm than Joe Burrow. But uh, <laughs> the funniest thing before the draft was the the comps. Like I heard Mahomes, I which. Yeah. Mahomes is just hilarious. Like, if you want to see the difference between Mahomes and Joe Burrow, watch the Ravens games back to back. Watch how Mahomes dealt with those blitzes and watch how Burrow did. And I'm thinking specifically about that ball he floated over A.J. Green's head, where oh, everyone, God. for some <laughs> reason, ripped A.J. Green. Well, that was that. funny. But he did not want – he wasn't even trying after the interception. That was so, like – that was very, like, I put in my two weeks notice type <laughs> energy, right? <laughs> not there. That was his two weeks uh, notice because the trade <laughs> deadline's coming up. He's like, yeah, trade me. <laughs> By the way, A.J. Green, I don't think he's as good as he used to be, but I don't think he's washed. The problem is Joe Burrow can't get him the ball. Like, right. he has, he has like, a 40% completion percentage when the ball's thrown to him. But – it's basically just Burrow can't get him the ball at all. I think he's only given him like 17 on, on target passes all year long, and he has like 34 targets. Wow. Uh, Betts, do you have any other any other things you want to discuss? Any other takes you need to get off? Any other takes? Um, no, not really. Um, just thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah. Watch People Vita can... Vea. Oh, I do have something on Vita Vea, actually, I wanted to bring up. Um. So he does this very illegal thing, but uh, right, he's manned up like on the center and he controls every set. I don't think he's, he's lost like two reps all year, according to my, you know, expert film study. Um, but uh, he will, if the ball is coming up the A gap and he's the nose and he's two gapping. So he's got his, his, his hands in the armpit. He's got his, his eyes on the ear hole of the, of the center. And he's just reading you know, he's just so big and strong. He just controls everybody, shrugs him off and makes a tackle. But sometimes he'll just stay engaged and, and throw out his knee, actually, and trip players. He's never been called all season. He's done it like four times. He's it tripping, is one of the tripping running better. backs? Or he's yes. Tripping. Yeah, so oh, like wow. the running backs coming up the A-gap. And uh, instead of like disengaging the block, he kind of just sticks out his knee. It's like some wily veteran move. Uh, this is what I'll, the I'll, Cowboys need to learn. This yeah. <laughs> Cowboys tackles need to. This is the. But I've just never seen any other player do it as consistently and never get called like he does. Maybe I'll post it on Twitter or something. But uh, just uh, something to look out for. It's <laughs> the only person I've seen that, so it's cool. Maybe this is why he ended up hurting his leg, <laughs> taking well, break, breaking his leg. Yeah, he. Oh my gosh! So he's so big, and I'm just I'm just amazed at how quick he is. You can't really slip block him, which is, um, you know, say he's head up on the center. The center tries to work to the second level, and right. then the guard tries to overtake, basically. But you can't do that because he will beat you to your spot. But he's so big and so he's gonna have a lot of injury issues i think moving forward he's just way too big to be doing all this stuff but uh yeah just appreciate him because he is better at his position than i think 
anybody else is in the league. So, <laughs> Betts, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, people, you, you should follow Betts on on Twitter. He's at all twenty two. He's yeah, the foremost I'm a Libra. expert. I'm not a fighter. <laughs> <laughs> um, the bio says it live, all. So my live, sig- just be- what? What? Live, laugh, love. <laughs> yeah, yeah live, laugh, only. love. Yeah. My suggestion, yeah. if you're following bets, is to wear headphones if you click play on any of his videos <laughs> <laughs> in public. If you're in public, yeah, yeah that's yeah. my one suggestion. Are you just have like a no. loved one around? <laughs> <laughs> all right, thanks, man. We'll t- we'll we'll have you on again uh, at some point. We'll see. We'll we'll wait till this is released. (laughs) We might all get fired. (laughs) All right. Thanks. The counter. All right. We turn now to Charles Curtis, our pal in New York City. Uh, Fantasy guru, fantasy nerd, whatever he wants to call himself. Charles, what's going on, buddy? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Uh, You know, I'm just hanging in. Living through the pandemic. No. My brain is like slowly melting. I don't know how I'm going to get through the season. I'm like at this point, I'm rooting for the the uh, for COVID to shut down the NFL. Don't say that. You oh, cannot sorry. say that. God, I, 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 so many people have been waiting for you to just come out and say that. And now, really get slammed. Great. Charles is here for his weekly stud dud and sleeper feature he obviously he blows this out a little bit on the web gives you more than one player in each category find that at for the win ftw.usatoday.com uh but today he is just going to name one in each and steven ranks it by comparing it to a coach and we have some fun so charles your stud for the week let me just say that steven my, my brain is fried too so i i totally feel you uh, my stud this week, Jonathan Taylor has been pretty bad. Like, I, mean, I shouldn't say he's been pretty bad. He's been pretty ordinary. We hoped that he would be this stud number one running back who would get all the carries and, you know, forget about Naeem Hines, forget about Jordan Wilkins. Just he would be a monster as a rookie uh, this season. And he's, he's just been fine. Uh, but he's a stud this week to me. He's playing the Bengals. They give up a ton of yards on the ground. He's going to get fed the ball a lot. There'll be hopefully the Colts will be ahead by a lot. So I think he's a stud this week. But I'm going to say my nervousness about him is there because I haven't seen him have like an explosive game since becoming the, the bell cow. Ooh, I'm going to give this a. I'm going to give it a Frank Reich actually. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because I'm kind of down on Frank Reich this year because of his insistence on running the football so much on early downs because the, the Colts haven't been good at it. So if he does keep feeding Taylor and the running backs on early, early downs, I think it's going to hurt the Colts offense and it's going to keep the Bengals in the game and they won't. And then it's not going to lead to those fourth down carry, those extra fourth down carries. We might see Phillip Rivers having to throw the ball in the fourth quarter. So I'm not on board with Charles's take. I think it's too much of a risk to to put Jonathan Taylor as a, as a stud this week. Okay, that's fair. Do, do you think that it's a case of a coaching adjustment will maybe give Taylor that RB one performance that we're hoping for? Uh no. I think the coaching adjustment would help Philip Rivers if it's going to help anybody because they need to start throwing the ball on first down more often. All right. Coach, there we go. Frank Reich's not, not a bad one. All right, that's that's pretty good. My dud this week, let's let's talk about 
I was going to say Joe Burrow's in my my uh, my dud this week, but we're not going to focus on him because I'm sure you spoke about him this week. I will focus on Deontay Johnson, who I have said on this podcast is one of my favorite guys this year, and he just cannot catch a break here. He had a concussion. He came out of last week's game with a back injury. He, if he plays this week, this is where I, I bring him. If he doesn't play, obviously he's he's a dud no matter what. But if he plays, I'm just really concerned because I think that the first of all, he's not completely healthy. And second of all, we saw what Chase Claypool did last week. Juju Smith hasn't really been a, a top receiver for the Steelers, but I just he's too much of a risk right now. I think you wait a week and see. I get the feeling that Claypool has just grabbed enough attention to be a problem for Johnson's value. I'll say that like going forward, I, but I still, I wouldn't give up on Deontay Jansen. I just, I'm keeping him on the bench. So if he plays. Yeah, I think that's a good take. Uh, I'm going to give it a, hmm, I'm going to give it a Cliff Kingsbury. Ooh, you love this Cliff Kingsbury. That's great. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm kind of down on him too this year. So <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> a compliment this year. Steven's just down on everything this year. That's, that's the, the theme of this segment. But like the, here's my, here's why I'm giving it to Kingsbury. And, and this doesn't really apply to what Charles is saying. It applies to Deontay Johnson's uh, fantasy prospects this week. The Eagles linebackers are terrible. They're awful. <laughs> it's, it's awful. And the Steelers have done a good one. Or it's not the Steelers. What am I? Who are they playing? This is bad content. <laughs> they're, they're I don't even Eagles. know who they're playing. They <laughs> played the Eagles, Eagles last week. They're playing the Browns. It's like the best. It's like one of the best games of the weekend. I know. I, I meant the, I meant the Browns because the take applies. Because the Browns linebackers also <laughs> terrible. So I think they're going. What I was trying to say is they're going to attack the defense the same way they attacked the defense last week, and attack those linebackers. And I think when. When Johnson is healthy, he is the player that I think is best at doing that. But like Charles said, we don't know what's going on with him. We don't know how, if he's going to be 100%, if the Steelers are going to be willing to feed him the ball. So it's really a boom or bust situation for me. Either he's not going to score any points or he might score a lot of points. And that's, to me, is Cliff Kingsbury, who's who's one week looks like a genius. The next week, he looks like he can't, he can barely beat the, the Giants or the whatever team they've been struggling against this year. <laughs> this segment has gotten amazing. This is just I think it's great content. People are going to be listening. It's more, what? It's getting more convoluted as the weeks go by. <laughs> All right, sleeper. I, I'm going to pick two because whatever, it's our segment. We do what the heck we want. I'm going to start with Andy Dalton. I think Andy Dalton is a has the chance to be a, a top 10 quarterback the rest of the way this season. And I think it starts against the Cardinals. And it's not because the Cardinals defense is particularly amazing. It's just because the Cowboys defense so got awful. So you're going to get all this volume on offense like the, the Cowboys were getting with Dak Prescott. I'm not saying Andy Dalton's going to end up with 400 yards a game every week like with Dak Prescott. But for getting a guy off the waiver wire and for him to, ple- to be playing in games where he's down a lot, I think he's a guy who you could plug in and, and definitely play. If you're in a two quarterback league or a super flex league, like that's a guy I'm targeting. All right. I'm going to give this one to Pete Carroll. Hmm. And it doesn't really, it's not really judging the quality of the take. It's more that I'm worried that 
they're going to, the Cowboys are going to buy into this notion that they're better off without Dak because they're going to focus more on the run game. I'm worried that McCarthy is going to buy into that and start feeding Zeke more than he has this year. And he, and Dalton's not going to get the opportunities that Dak got to stack fantasy points. That's my one concern. I think your, your theory is spot on. I, I do think, Dalton, if they continue to pass the ball as much as they were passing the ball with Dak, I do think he's going to put up a lot of points, and he's very capable of being a top ten fantasy quarterback this year. And in general, my f- approach to fantasy is is streaming quarterbacks, like picking a matchup every yeah. week and exploiting it. And I think that's what you can do with Dalton. I think he's a a low risk, high reward player. My my bonus sleeper was going to be uh, Lavisca Chenault, who is just he's like this funny little player that, in terms of fantasy, like he's is just funny thing. Like he he's getting volume. The the yardage hasn't been there completely, but like his floor is really certain. And now DJ Chark might miss the game this weekend, so I think against Lions, like he could actually explode. So that was that was the other guy I was going to go with. I don't know if that earns me better than a Pete Carroll. Yeah, I like that pick. Uh, because like you said, you know where his floor is because the Jaguars feed him targets like they had they scheme up targets for him. So if you're in like a PPR league, you know, he's good for at least four or five points just based on like schemed receptions alone. Awesome. That's a Bill Belichick right. right there. Bill Be- oh, man. <laughs> I like how you were like a Bill Belichick. <laughs> you were like, you're like, I need I need better than Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll's like one of the top. Yeah, I'd I'd forget right. where Steven I think, I think giving myself five. I think giving myself a Bill Belichick is a Joe Judge, so uh, uh, that's fine. Yeah, that's a Matt Patricia. That's a Matt Patricia. <laughs> oh, man, let's just rip rip the Patriot former Patriots assistants now. Uh, thanks, thanks for dropping by, Charles. Always enjoy having you. We will talk to you next week. Thanks, guys. The counter. All right. That was uh, great stuff from Betts. Great stuff from Charles. Appreciate those guys stopping by. Uh, Now we are going to dig into the games this week. And (laughs) I I hesitate to say it because I think we said it last week. And then there were a bunch of interesting games that happened. But it's, you know, the slate does not. It does not unfold in a way that makes you think there's going to be a lot of super entertaining games this week. Um, let's let's start actually with Brown Steelers, this AFC North battle, because that division is turning out to be pretty impressive. Uh, you know, with the Browns playing the way they are, I, I, you have said you don't think it's sustainable. I think that's probably right. They don't have the quarterback play to to really make that run, but we're going to find out this week. The Steelers are, as Betts just mentioned, the Steelers are a high pressure team. They're going to test Baker Mayfield. Uh, Pittsburgh is a three and a half point favorite in this one. Uh, the Browns are four and one Steelers are four and oh, they were impacted by COVID there. Uh, should have had a game and, uh, had to get moved around. So, uh, what is your take on this one, Steven? How do you see it playing out? I really like the Steelers in this one. I think they're going to make Baker Mayfield look like the Baker Mayfield we saw in week one against the Ravens. They're, he's going to see a similar rate of pressure. And I don't know if he's built to handle it. it he's played well statistically over the last couple of weeks or during the winning streak, but the tape hasn't been great. And I don't think he's 
been forced to really make plays or play quarterback. And when he has had to play quarterback, it hasn't looked very great. And by play quarterback, I mean like not play action passes where he's reading one or two defenders and making a decision to throw based off that. Like I'm talking about taking a snap, dropping back, scanning the field and going through his progressions. That's just not what he's good at. And if you watch him, it just looks so hard when he does that. And I really think the Steelers are going to make him do that more often than he's used to. And he's, they're going to make him do it in a hurry because that pressure is going to come, be coming after him. Uh, yeah. What What are the chances that the two quarterbacks combine for like fewer than 300 passing yards in this game? <laughs> well, Ben might throw like, he might need like 50 yards or 50 attempts to do it, but he'll get to, he'll get to like 250. He just would be averaging like five yards per attempt. But really, I think it comes down to like how the Pittsburgh, how the Steelers run defense matches up with the Browns run offense, because that's really how they've been winning games, which is something you can't really say a lot in this era. But it's been the case with uh, Cleveland and Pittsburgh's defense. I'm looking up their DVO now. They are first in the league in run yeah. defense. So very, very good. And number two is Baltimore. So similar matchup to what the Browns faced in week one. And that did not go well for them. The only difference is Steelers don't have Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson had a very good game against the Browns in week one. So part of the reason they weren't running a lot of play action is probably because they fell behind very early. And maybe that doesn't happen against the Steelers uh, offense. But the offense has been well coached and it's been well designed. So even if Ben doesn't have the greatest arm right now, I think they could still put up points against this Browns defense. Uh, Packers Bucks is another interesting one. That's a four four twenty five start, so we'll we'll be able to. All of us will be. Able, I think there's only two four o'clock games in this week uh, in that window. Oh uh, well, I'm so, going to be watching Jets Dolphins. I don't. Are know. Are you? <laughs> you that's that's messed up, man. That's messed up. Uh, <laughs> Rogers Brady. You know, nice nice narrative. Uh, be nice to see the Packers. Uh, you know, face some adversity and see what see what they have. Uh, but how do you see this playing out? Green Bay is actually a one point favorite in this one. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how the Packers handle this challenge because I I don't know if they've really been challenged so right. far this year. I guess you could say the Saints are a challenge, but I don't. I Saints haven't looked very good. They almost lost to. Uh, the Chargers at home, they almost uh, they got off to a slow start against the Lions. I don't think the Saints are that great. So this is a really big challenge for them. And really that defense is what I, I want to see is how does the secondary hold up against this Bucks passing game? And is the pass rush as good as it was last year? Because that's how the Bears obviously stifled this offense was Khalil Mack just dominating. And Zadarius Smith was a very good player last year. He's, he's, I think he's off to a decent start this year. So we're really going to see how good that pass rush is. And I think that's going to determine who wins this game. If the Packers can get after Brady like the Bears did, then I could see the Packers winning comfortably. But I don't know if that's going to happen. I think the Pack, the, the Bucks are going to have some success against this defense. Yeah. Uh, is Devontae Adams coming back? I'm I, I've been. I know that he wanted to come back and play, even though he was injured. And uh, I believe he's back at practice. I don't know if that means he's going to play, but I think he. I think he will play. Yeah, it looks like he's a full participant uh, yesterday. So I guess we'll see uh, what happens. But we haven't really seen the Green Bay offense uh, working with 
you know, it's optimal personnel. So, uh, you know, another thing to look for as we go forward. Uh, the rest of the games, as I said, not not super compelling. Broncos, Patriots, uh, Patriots, as we mentioned, both Cam Newton and Stephon Gilmore are back, uh, you know, and so they are a nine and a half point favorite against the the Denver Drew Locks. Uh, how do you see this playing out? What are you looking for? Uh, I think that the Patriots are going to give that that offense a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. We've seen this against the the Broncos this year teams have really gotten after the quarterback they've been blitzed like the the Steelers blitzed them like every play basically I think the Titans really bothered them too so I don't see how this ends well for the Broncos unless Drew Locke has one of those games where he's just you know getting outside of the pocket and making these crazy throws downfield which he definitely has the capability to do I, I I just think Belichick is going to have a plan for him and he's going to make things so hard. And and I don't see them scoring a lot of points. I, the thing I really want to see is what this offense, how this offense continues to evolve. It kind of, we got like a break because of Cam Newton coming down right. with COVID, but right. that's something I'm always interested in seeing. And going up against a, a pretty good defense in Denver and a, a defense that does some interesting things schematically, I think that's going to be a, a good matchup. Vic Fangio versus josh mcdaniels and i just want to see how cam plays i think that's like the last two weeks have showed us that the afc is a little more wide open than we probably thought after that ravens chiefs game where it just looked like kansas city was going to win the super bowl again so i i really want to see the if the patriots are going to be a contender this year i want to see them blow out the broncos this should be a game that they win easily if they are that type of team uh, let's talk Ravens. They play the Eagles and are a seven and a half point favorite. Uh, I think that most people would say that the Ravens, despite being four and one, have not really looked nearly as good as they did last year, at least on offense. Lamar Jackson is probably you know not in the MVP discussion right now. And the, you know, the receiving core that they hoped would emerge to help him has not emerged. And the running game has not been as dynamic, you know, they're, they're still relying on a bunch of guys to get the yards, but it's not uh, been as effective. That could change against the Eagles because <laughs> the Eagles have, uh, as you mis- erroneously mentioned in the fantasy segment, the Eagles have the, the just, you know, one of the worst linebacking cores in uh, the NFL. I'm not sure that, I mean, I feel like Penn State's linebackers might be better. Uh, you know, they could, especially <laughs> if, if Micah Parsons were still considered part of Penn State, that would definitely be better. Uh, so it, is this a week for the Ravens to get going uh, here against a, a really porous defense? Yeah, I think if they don't get going, we're going to have to like start writing what's wrong with the Ravens offense articles. And I've already seen yeah. some this week, so maybe okay. we're already at that point. Right. I think this line is way too high, mm. seven and a half points, just because of the the struggles that mm. that team has had. And I don't know. I don't. I don't think they're going to be able to just score at will against the Eagles, even as bad as the the, the linebackers have been. I don't. I don't know if Lamar is playing at that level where he's going to be able to exploit the openings that those linebackers might provide. I think that's going to be the big key is if Lamar plays like he played last year, then it's going to be a blowout. If he's playing like he is this year, I think the Eagles cover and they cover easily. And we kind of saw like some life out of the Eagles offense last, last week against a very good Steelers defense. 
So I'm not just writing off Carson Wentz's ability to even keep up with Lamar Jackson if he does have a good game. Right. Uh, I'll ask you the dreaded question. Like, are did defensive coordinators finally get film on Lamar Jackson? Is that what we're seeing here? <laughs> like, <laughs> No, I just I've I've never been on this Greg Roman train where I think mm. he's like some great coach that is going to be a head coach soon. Like he is getting he last year he got the most out of Lamar Jackson. But I feel like Lamar Jackson makes like if you can't get them can't get a good offense out of Lamar Jackson, you're just not a good coach. I don't think it means you're a great coach. Like he's mm. Lamar Jackson. He, make, he makes that system possible. Put in any other quarterback, put in any other running quarterback. And I don't think it works as well. What about Josh Allen? What if you put Josh Allen in, in the Ravens system? I'm going to pass on that. I'm going to pass on that question. I'm going to say something that will infuriate <laughs> people. I, I, did you, you should be proud that's of your me. role. That's your role. That's, you should be proud of me for holding off on Josh Allen jokes on Tuesday night. Cause I, he gave me an opportunity to make them and I didn't make them. The Bills fans should commend me for that. Yeah. You did not trounce uh, people on Twitter as much as I thought you would, because uh, you, you know, Ryan Tannehill, despite winning was like, you know, the narrative coming out that he was somehow fantastic was just crazy. I mean, he was like, he was about as average. And like, if you ever wanted to just show someone like, oh, here's an average quarterback, you would just show them that game. That's what I keep saying. Like, just like the people that love Tannehill are people that have not watched him and they just see that. And I hate to be that person that's like, you're a box score watcher. But like, (laughs) if you watch Ryan Tannehill, you're not thinking, Whoa, this guy, this is awesome. This guy's great. He's killing it. You're just like, this is a guy playing quarterback. Like he's doing his job. <laughs> and then at the end of the game, you look up and he has 300 yards and five touchdowns. And it's just because he's, they're just spamming play action all day, all day long. He's still in dead last or not. No, he, he rose up this week. He's still fourth from last in yards per attempt on non play action. And the only people ahead of him are like Mitch Trubisky and Sam Darnold. Well, rough. Uh, what else we got going Sunday? Looking through Texans, Titans. We'll stick. We'll stick with our our buddy. Uh, <laughs> the Texans showed some life. Uh, the Titans uh, is a crash coming here. Is this? What are we I, I would not be surprised. I would not right. be surprised if there's a letdown. And if my theory holds that they kind of got an advantage by getting that week off and being able to focus on on Buffalo that whole time then that's going to come back to bite them this week because they have a short week and they're playing against a team that they didn't, they really didn't know who they were going to play. So I, I picked the Texans yeah. to, to cover at least. Yeah. And, and the line, the line is only three. So, yeah. I mean, I think Vegas is agreeing with, with us that there's, you know, a chance of a letdown by Tennessee here. And Houston's defense looked a lot better last week. Like it had mm-hmm. been a mess. And I think I've talked about it on the podcast. Like it was just, an uncoordinated mess and Romeo Cornell taking over as head coach. He, I think he was like, an, I don't even know what his uh, title was. It was just basically like a, an analyst, but that looked, it looked a lot better with Cornell. I guess maybe he's pulling more strings. He's in charge more. Yeah. So it could very well come down to a matchup of these quarterbacks. And I'm picking Deshaun Watson every time. Uh, Bengals Colts. Uh, Colts are a seven and a half point favorite. Uh, this is, we we've had our discussion of Joe Burrow <laughs> uh, going up against by the numbers one of the better defenses in the league. I, I think DVOA they're still first. Uh, I'm not sure about EPA. You checked that, but uh, any what, what are you thinking here? 
Seven and a half is the I line. think the line's a little too big. Mm-hmm. I think the Colts are going to win, but their defense, the way they play defense at least, I do think suits Joe Burrow well, where they're going to sit back and play zone. I mean, they do send blitzes, but not at a terribly high rate. They're not going to play a lot of man coverage, so I don't think they're really going to force Burrow to throw into tight windows. It's just going to be finding the holes in the zone and exploiting them, and I think he's a quarterback capable of doing that at this point, even at this point in his career. Mm -hmm. So while I expect the Colts to win, I think they're the better team all around, and I think they have the better quarterback. I do think the Bengals are going to score enough points to keep this game close. Okay. And we'll be watching to see uh, the rate of pass calls on early downs from the Colts, which is the thing that Steven identified that they're just not, it's doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I mean, it's not, it's, it's not the Frank Reich book. I mean, that's not what you would think. And that's been a big problem so far. So we'll kind of see how that evolves. Falcons Vikings, a game that could be endangered by coronavirus. Uh, that's a one o'clock game. Minnesota is a four point favorite. Uh, you know, Falcons could have that Texans bounce. Dan Quinn ousted after the last loss. Uh, you know, so we'll see sort of what that does to to this team that you know, a veteran team should have uh, enough talent. Certainly, it is to stick with the one and four Vikings. Uh, what are you thinking about this one? Yeah. <sighs> I I don't know what to think about the Falcons, just because <laughs> I know they fi- they finally fired Dan Quinn, but it, it, his coaching staff is still there. It's still going to be the same scheme. It's still going to be Dirk Cutter calling second and long runs every time. Uh, it's still going to be uh, that bad defense. So I don't think it it really fixes anything. At least in the short term, I do think it it was the right move for the long term. Obviously, and I'm starting to like what I'm seeing from this Vikings team. I know they blew the game against Seattle late, but. I, I think they're a, a playoff team, and I, I'm not going to say that about the Falcons. So I, I, the Vikings, the line is four, and I think that's that makes sense. Uh, I should probably jump to Bears Panthers. Uh, you don't want to go to Washington? Anymore? Yeah, I, I mean Bears Panthers. It's it's very telling that this is a four and one versus three and two game. <laughs> And the fact that I have buried it and I I was potentially just going to skip it altogether uh, should tell you what what I actually think about these teams. Although I enjoy trolling you and pretending that the Panthers might be good um, and because they're going to get like the eighth draft pick and pick Isaiah Simmons too, whoever that is. I don't, I don't know who <laughs> they're that gonna is. They're going to pick Michael Parsons. <laughs> How dare you? I'm stopping, I'm stopping this, the podcast immediately. Uh, but yeah, this game... Uh, Carolina is a one half point favorite in this one. Uh, it is in Charlotte. So that's probably what you're seeing there. Uh, what, what are you thinking? Teddy Bridgewater, man. He's been, he's, he, has he been more than what you thought? I mean, he's obviously still mostly a, a dink and dunk game manager type, but has he impressed you at all? Has he shown you anything that you didn't expect? No, he's been exactly what I thought he was going to be, and that's the problem. That's why I hated the signing, because he was too good for this team. Like, they should not be playing him right now. Kyle Allen should be the Panthers quarterback. He's got a job. This team should be 0-16, or 0-whatever-they'd-be, 0-5 right now. I don't like it. I hate it. The Panthers are a good – I think they are a decent team. Like, they figured things out defensively, too. I can't even bash them for that anymore. Right. I think they're better than the Bears. I understand why they're favored. I think they should be favored more. I'm picking the Panthers in this game. Wow. I, 
like you need a good offense to to beat the Panthers. I think what you need is a good offense, and mm-hmm. they they don't. And the Bears clearly don't have that, right? And what the Bears do have is a great uh, defensive line that can get after the quarterback, and we saw that give problems to Brady and an offense that is known for pushing the ball downfield and holding on to the ball a little bit longer than most quarterbacks. You're getting the opposite from the Panthers. They're going to get the ball out quickly. I don't think that pass rush is going to be a big deal for them. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, man. Do I have to talk about this football team versus Giants game? I, I can't believe that. This I mean, look team. at the other games that you have to talk about. Lions, yeah. Jaguars, and Jets, Dolphins are the only yeah. ones left. I can't believe this is, these are Can we just, thing. like, we could just say, like, offer a bit of analysis and it applies to all three games. Uh... Like we're going to make one broad statement on all three games. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the football team from Washington, D.C., though, because Dwayne, the Dwayne Haskins thing has gotten weird, right? He was out. He wasn't available Sunday, which led to Alex Smith playing, which was so uncomfortable. Uh, they claimed that he had like a, a stomach thing. I don't know. And he's now missed. As far as I know, he's missed the entire week. Uh, again, I maybe didn't check well enough before we logged on but uh but he's been out it's uh, i mean is are we headed to toward divorce already there i mean is, is there a potential for him being traded yeah i think that's how this ends i don't know when it happens but i think this there's no way he's in washington next year which is honestly the best thing for his career like we talked to bets we were talking about how quarterbacks develop in one of the things I mentioned was like the, pro, the the concept of a pro ready quarterback, and that was Dwayne Haskins for that for that draft class. Mm, yeah, and but the difference between him and the other guys that have kind of failed the other that archetype is he does have an arm and he has a strong arm and he's also smart. I think he's still there's still a good quarterback in there, but he just went to the worst possible team to get that out of him. Right. So even if it's over for him in Washington, I really do think he still has a chance if he lands in the right situation and i the problem is i don't know what the right situation is i don't know how many of those situations are out there's just there's not like great offensive coaches looking for a quarterback right now and if they are they're probably going to get it in the draft they're not going to trade for some guy that washed out of uh for his first team so that's my only concern i think if somehow he lands with a good team that can really coach him up i really do think he has a future as a starter i just there's just a very small chance that it happens yeah, but he has to I get mean, out of Washington. Right. He clearly needed a more stable. And uh, Ron Rivera has has uh, seemed to bring stability to Washington in some ways. But, like, the franchise is just – I mean, it's such a mess. I mean, it's – overtaken Cleveland is just the, the laughing stock of the league as far as uh, all the behind-the-scenes stuff. I mean, he's he, – it's just not the right place for him. Uh, Speaking you know, of Rivera, like, we touched, we touched on this earlier in the week about how he kind of had this track record in Carolina where he played Cam Newton when he was hurt, when he probably shouldn't have played him. And a quote came out like, huh? Yeah, did it again. Yeah, he did it again. And he was asked about it, I think on Monday. And he said that the reason why he didn't put in Kyle Allen after he was cleared was he was still, his arm was still hurt and he didn't want him taking hits. Your quarterback that was taking hits, his his leg looks like Harry Potter's wand right now. What are you talking about? How long did you workshop that metaphor? It, it I was going it was going on in my head. My first thing was like, 
Gandalf's staff that he uses, <laughs> but I thought that was a little bit too nerdy. So I dialed down the nerdiness and went with Harry Potter's wand. Like his leg isn't like straight. It's like there's like it's like a a, a spaghetti noodle. Oh, so I don't man. get that that reasoning from Rivera. I'm not buying yeah. it. Not making much sense. Uh, Lions Jags. Uh, I I think whoever loses this game should be forced to fire their coach and <laughs> just give us something to talk about at the fifty yard line right after the game. And hopefully they tie and both of them can just leave together and go off into the sunset. Uh, but <laughs> Detroit is a three point favorite. I I don't know. Uh, Twenty seconds go. Like <laughs> what, what, do, what do you have on this? I think this game could be fun. Like it won't matter in right. a long, like it's not going right. to affect anything, but it's two bad defenses, two pretty good offenses. I think there's going to be a lot of points scored. Like if I was betting the over is 54 and a half that I would bet on the over. Yeah. Would, but yeah, I would probably, I would lean to the lions. I just, they have the better quarterback and I think they have better weapons on offense. So, and both defenses are bad. So I don't, I think that's just a wash. Uh, no pun intended, by the way. Todd Wash, Jaguars uh, defensive coordinator. Look at that. Wow. That's why you come to the counter for that yeah. for that type of wordplay. <laughs> uh, the other four o'clock game that Stephen will be meticulously monitoring: Jets, Dolphins. Dolphins having uh, eviscerated the 49ers are a nine and a half point favorite. The Jets, <laughs> the Jets. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is now. They have cut Le'Veon Bell. Um, I. Uh, I, I imagine being in New like, how is it that New York, a city, you know, the largest city in the country, has just the two just most like just awful football franchises? Uh, I mean, that fan base, these fan bases kind of deserve it, don't they? Yeah, ooh, ooh. yeah Charles, Charles is, you know, Charles is gonna be mad at you. <laughs> He's used to it, but. The Dolphins are like kind of good, maybe. Like, did you expect the Dolphins at any point this season to be favored by nine and a half points over anybody? Uh, well, I listened to Peter King and Henry, so you know I thought they would. They <laughs> well, they're not playoff good. Rock, get rock with the FCs, yeah. They're not uh, playoff good. Yeah, probably not nine and I mean maybe if if it was going to be anyone, it would have been the Jets. Yeah, uh, but sense. I certainly did not expect them to beat the 49ers the way they did. You, I mean, the 49ers defense is hurt by injuries. So, uh, but I mean, it's, it, other than continuing to play Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was amazing last, like you know, he was amazing last week. But we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick can be amazing at times. Like that's a very normal. Ryan Fitzpatrick thing. He could be like, he, he's, he's probably not bad enough to lose to the Jets this week, but he's bad enough to make it interesting. Um, you know, when he, when he gets there. So that's uh, definitely a possibility is yeah. you could just have a terrible Jets or Ryan Fitzpatrick game. Maybe he's pressing cause he's going up against his old team, which uh, that's every week. So I don't know if that's actually going to be an issue. Uh, I don't know how, like, the line, I don't know who to take. I'm going to take the Jets. I'm going to take the nine and a half points here. Oh, yeah. The Dolphins is. are going to win, but I think we finally see Adam Gase put it into hyperdrive. He got rid of Le'Veon Bell. The culture is, is revived. We're back to the culture that Adam Gase wanted to develop. And we're going to see the Jets score 14 points and keep it close enough to cover. <laughs> Uh, I saved the Sunday night game for last, not simply because it's the last game before our next episode, but 
because the line is a little befuddling. It's uh, the Rams, the Rams 49ers. Rams are only a three-point favorite. And I I think I saw a tweet from you this week that said that you are starting to maybe buy in on the Rams being the best team in the league, perhaps? you're Or you're close? You're edging that way? Mm, no. <laughs> I think the stats say that they are. The mm. EPA and I... I think they're the best team in the NFC. Right. I you've, thought just, that you've thought that since week two, right? I mean, that's true. And there's nothing that's out. taken me off of that since then. I, I mean, I do acknowledge the fact that they've played the NFC East. They've played all four of those teams, and that's probably boosting their EPA numbers and boosting what I think about them. But I really like this team. I, I think they're good. They're dealing with a little bit of injuries on the defensive side, but that offense is just rolling like we – Expected a Sean McVay offense to roll before 2019. And the 49ers are not. Their defense, I think, is just done. Like Their defensive line is totally depleted from where it was last year. The secondary, I thought, was suspect last year if you could block the defensive line. The only problem was no one could do that. And now I think it's going to get exposed. And, I mean, Jimmy G got benched last week. I know the ankle was the problem, but is the ankle going to be better? Is he going to be better as just – a quarterback he needs to be to carry this right. team because the de- defense isn't going to be as good. I don't know. I love Kyle Shanahan, but I don't know if he has enough to outscore a Sean McVay offense that's rolling and going up against a bad defense. Uh, all right. That's the Sunday slate. Uh, Chiefs Bills play the rare Monday night five o'clock game. What a treat. <laughs> what a treat. Uh, that will be interesting to just flip on some football at five o'clock. Uh, but that game was supposed to be played Thursday night and was moved because of the Rona. Um, so the Bills having to play the Titans on a Tuesday kicked that game to a Monday. Uh, so we will have a doubleheader. Cardinals-Cowboys will be the second game. We we will preview those in our Monday episode, take a little bit of a deeper look at those games because they should be interesting. And, of course, we'll have a wrap-up from everything that happens Sunday and a preview of Steven's take dump, which is his way of making sense each Monday morning of what he has seen on Sunday. Uh, so that's all we got for the counter. Uh, you know, a little a little bets action today. Loved it. Uh, feel like we learned a lot. I could we could just let bets talk for like forty five minutes. Just let <laughs> him go and feel like we'd all be smarter about football in the end. Uh, Steven, what do you want to say? How do you want to close this one out? Any Free A.J. Green. Free A.J. Free. Green from Baby Armborough. <laughs> oh, man. Where, where would you want him to go? Uh, get, let Cam have him or, yeah, let, of course. or give him to Russ. I think Russ yeah, will get the nice most too. out of him. I mean. But he's getting Josh he's Gordon got, back. So. Yeah, he's going to get Josh Gordon. He's got Metcalf. I, I'd give, give him the Cam. Let's do that. Love it. Uh, thanks for joining us on The Counter. Talk to you next time. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Wind, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. 